welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who like to use a lot of words yet say nothing at all. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 290 for January 11th, 2016. On today's show, we're talking about the intimidation of getting started, 45 degree zero clearance inserts, using a carbide bandsaw blade, and choosing a dust collector. All that and more coming up, but first, let's thank a few special folks who helped us out with donations, Jay Mahoney and James Murchison. Thank you very much, guys. We appreciate the support, and if you want to help us out too, you can just go to woodtalkshow.com, look over in the right-hand side, you'll see some donation links, and you could send a few bucks our way to help us keep the lights on and uh, that's always appreciated so let's just jump right into the good stuff here what's on the bench for me still being lazy guys i'm, I'm trying to get out of the <laughs> the after post holiday muck um but i i'm finalizing this bed design uh tomorrow i'm gonna go pick up some lumber and i, I don't know if either of you have ever built beds shannon i think you built a bed before right yeah okay just finished one and when you're I built a bed for a child well there you go a baby that does baby count bed. that definitely counts <laughs> but when you're when you're building a bed and you're going to put the plan out to the audience, that the reality is there's a lot of different beds out there, yeah. you know. So yeah. it's like I'm going to build the one that fits my dimensions. But am I really obligated to give you like the SketchUp drawing for for twin size, for full size, for queen, <laughs> for king, for eastern king? Like where does it end? Uh, because our our bed is a eastern king, but it's actually a sleep number bed. So I don't even need the support system. My bed is on a stand and I just need the bed and the, like the headboard, footboard and rails. But I'm actually going to have to build and design and put not just put it in the SketchUp. I feel that's kind of cheap to, to just put it in the drawing and say, here, for all of you other people who don't have a sleep number, like basically 99% of you, um, you know, do this <laughs> other thing. So I'm going to have to build this extra stuff into it, which may not be such a bad thing because I may not always have this bed and I, I may want to you know go to a regular box spring and mattress someday. Uh, but anyways, mine just kind of sits in there. So I'm going to have to build that whole platform and just make sure this is applicable to everybody's situation. But I'm still not sure I'm going to make like SketchUp drawings for every type of bed. I, I want to, I would hope that people are capable of doing some math and just subtracting numbers where needed to get this thing to fit whatever size bed they've got. Yeah. And, that, and that's exactly how I handled it. I, I built mine was actually for my guest room. It was a queen size mm-hmm. and I went through what the standard dimensions are for you know, there's a, that standard kind of, a queen is always this size yeah, and a king right. is this size. California king is this size, which by the way, if it's not a California king, is it an Eastern king? I'd never heard that term before. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. The default oh. is if you just say king, it's Eastern <laughs> king. And then if it's oh. a California king, then you've got the perfect square shape. So I was nothing else. You learned something today. Yep. Nice. <laughs> anyway, I built a traditional, you know, frame style, not, not a platform. I mm-hmm. guess that's what you call that. I didn't build a platform. Um, and that was great because the only thing that changes is the rails. Everything right. else is exactly the same except for the headboard. But that's all, you know, I said, well, here are the standard dimensions and uh, heads up, it Have might fun. vary slightly. Well, and here's <laughs> so the other thing. buy your mattress first. <laughs> with, with this particular design, the headboard is, you know, it's a very important focal point. So the bottom rail of the headboard is not super, super wide. So depending on how high the mattress and the box spring are in total, you also have another dimension where you may need to shorten or lengthen the headboard legs to allow that rail to sit where it should. Right. You know, you get, they call that headboard suck. Headboard suck, really? Um, When when you sit on the mattress and it compresses, if it can compress below the level of the headboard, it'll actually like kind of scooch under there. So then when you get off the bed, it actually gets caught on the headboard and it can either like snap back out or it can like chip the bottom of the headboard or like catch, Hmm. like if you have long hair, 
Imagine if your hair gets caught between the headboard and the, and you, I mean, literally it's, it's, it's a thing. It's called a headboard suck. That could happen to Matt. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's could. got, definitely got some hair up there. Um, I thought headboard <laughs> suck was the thing where my pillow just gets like somehow magically sucked in between the, the mattress and the, the headboard every night. That's my, that's my headboard suck. <laughs> it's that too. I hate that. Uh, but that's it for me so far. Uh, Matt, what about you? Continue work on the sofa table. I got it all pre-finished and it's ready to be assembled. And I'm going to start heading into the, uh, the house and uh, editing all that uh, fun video stuff. Sweet. Awesome. Uh-huh. I can't wait to see some of that. Me too. Yeah, it's going to be good. Guild, you guys <laughs> got to go to the guild and sign up for this thing. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to it. Well, that's good, man. So so you do you typically film the entire project and then go in and edit? Or when you're doing stuff for like your YouTube channel, are you... Uh, sort of editing on the fly as you're building the youtube channel i usually do it at the end i'll I'll record the whole thing and i'll do the video like it ends up being like a month or two later actually after i finish the project like today i just finally finished up the crib video and i finished building the crib in november okay so there's that but with this with the guild stuff that i'm learning about this i probably when i do it again i'm gonna edit as i go yeah that's things to be a lot easier it's a sizable chunk of editing to do all in one shot (laughs) in one bite that's Mm -hmm. kind of a pain in the butt that's oh. going to be my January. Well, cool. That sounds good. That sounds a great way, a great way to spend your January. Nothing else will be on my bench this month. <laughs> nice. Sounds good. If, if I made a new year's resolution, it would be never to do that again, film it all <laughs> and then edit it all later. I did that a couple times last year. And, and like you said, Matt, I still have the videos to be edited. <laughs> it just becomes this giant, like insurmountable, insurmountable amount of work. Yeah, there's a terabyte of data sitting there waiting for me to log. Yeah. I'll get to that later. <laughs> That's pretty rough. Not going anywhere. What about you, Shannon? Well, I um I was actually doing a little bit of um I guess you'd call it marketing filming, putting together some new sales videos because I'm redoing my hand tool school site. So I had to um put together the lathes that I built in semester five and get them set up and everything. While I had them there, I was like, I had this like nostalgic moment <clears throat> because, you know, I betrayed them when I went out and bought that Barnes pedal lathe because it's the lathe that I always wanted and meanwhile <laughs> broke down the ones I built. So once I had them put back together, it was like, you know, well, look, here's a lathe and here's a lathe and here's a lathe. Let's turn on this one. Let's go turn on this one. So I, I started playing around with some of the just scraps I have in the shop and I decided I'm going to go ahead and build one of those campaign stools from uh, Christopher Schwartz's campaign book, mm-hmm. little like three-legged thingy that folds up because it actually is like the perfect solution for um, like when we're up in Maine, something you can just kind of throw over your shoulder and like take down to the rocks and camp out and, you know, just, I don't know, it's just a cool thing to have around. So I uh, went ahead and ordered, that's the the funny thing is this is like the the total super easy project basically it's turned three legs <laughs> and then now there are manufacturers of the hardware like the triple bolt hardware veritas makes that now even though Schwarz has a thing in his book on like how to make it yourself veritas has like the cool stainless steel and brass oh, version of it nice. like, yeah i'm getting that <laughs> of course and then um texas heritage uh woodworks now does the leather seat so again, there's plans in Schwartz's book to make this leather thing yourself. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to make one with like, you know, <laughs> hand, hand hammered copper rivets and everything. So yeah, it, it's kind of funny. It's like the ultimate outsourced project. I'm just going to turn three <laughs> sticks and then throw other people's work on top of it and call it mine. <laughs> nice. That's how it's done. I built a Windsor chair like that. Yeah. Uh, see, I bought right, it in a box and just assembled it. I'm like, man, I am a good woodworker. <laughs> yeah, Look at it's me traditional. Go. It's it's the piece method where you just built the one little piece and other people built the other pieces. Yeah, it's how so, business is done, man. Don't yeah. be don't be ashamed. It's good. So I actually I, I went ahead and I got 
enough to build to build three of them. Um, okay. So I'm thinking that I'll end up giving one like my father-in-law as a gift or something, and nice. I don't know. Figure out the rest of it. Can't beat that. Very cool. All right, let's get into what's new. Got a couple links to share for you, stuff that either you sent to us or things we found on our own. Uh, Bob sent this in, but I didn't see this from Bob. I found it on Facebook and shared it, and oh boy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh boy, what a response this, this gets. This made its rounds around the uh, the interwebs. Yeah, the, the most entertaining thing about this is not even the article. It's reading what people say in the article. So it's a New York Magazine article about Amy Schumer's new boyfriend, and the title of it is, oh, stupid ads. I just closed out an ad. What are you guys doing? Hold on. What a terrible website. Sorry. <laughs> I can't see the title because I'm looking at a chick in a jacket and a goofy hat. They don't want me to actually read this article. Okay. Amy Schumer's boyfriend has the ideal boyfriend profession. What do you think her profession is, people? His profession. Sorry. Her profession is comedian. Uh, his. He is a woodworker. A it's wood talk. He's not a host on wood talk. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, yeah, he's a woodworker. So it's this whole article talking about how, uh, which is actually kind of funny. Um, there's the Allison Davis, I guess is the author talking about how he's just the ideal boyfriend and why woodworkers and, and a furniture maker who's <clears throat> making a living and actually succeeding at it as a custom furniture maker is just a great sort of sexy job, you know, and he's not a lawyer. He's not, uh, you know, a doctor, but this is the thing that makes the ultimate boyfriend, which is kind of hilarious. But uh, so it, 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 I have a hard time determining if it's truly honest in her opinion or if she's being a little bit tongue in cheek about it. But either way, if you're a woodworker, you want to send this to your girlfriend or your wife and let them know just how lucky they are. Uh, this this is fuel for that. You should probably do it. <laughs> yeah, I I did that and discovered it had no impact. Yeah, it's like, um, no, it's, you're, you're all right. Uh, so the <laughs> thing is, a lot of people and I guess I didn't realize this, how many people just hate, like hate Amy Schumer. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah, I I think she's funny, but I don't really care about her politics. And I think that's the problem. <laughs> she's <clears throat> one of those outspoken uh, people. And then she just, you know, boy, does she get uh, raked over the coals. So, yeah, we've been spending all day hiding comments on the Facebook page because it's like, look, I don't care. This wasn't posted to be political. This whole article is about this dude, you know, and why why woodworkers are great boyfriends. But the comments are just like Amy Sherman. Burr, burr, burr. So. Uh, we hit a lot of comments today just to keep the peace a little bit there, but, uh, yeah, check it out. It's a funny article. Can I mention something kind of funny about the article? Yes, you can. In the beginning, he calls, or she calls him a custom furniture maker and then proceeds to call him a carpenter later yeah. on in the article. I thought that was a funny tie-in because we just talked about that last week. Yeah. That, <laughs> uh, someone mentioned that in the comments and I, I guess I didn't read that last paragraph, but you're right. That, that's an interesting, <laughs> interesting transition because he's not, it does look like he's actually developing like a, a furniture line. So this is a, a furniture making woodworker. Yeah. Good stuff. Good to know. Good to know. He's not a furniture making carpenter. That's a big difference. Yeah. Yes, big so. difference. All right. You're up, Matt. All right. <clears throat> this is from Chris. Since it's an hour-long video of a violin being constructed from rough sawn blocks of wood to a concert using the violin. And I started listening, to, oh, I guess listening and watching this before we started uh, recording today. And wow. You guys watch this? I did. Yeah. At least some yeah. of it. Super relaxing, though. Wow. Yeah, captivating yeah. video. This is awesome. It, I, was, I was sitting there watching the first few minutes of it. I'm like, there's a lot of stuff going into this. I already knew that, you know, instrument making is pretty in, involved. Yeah. But like, you don't even see that much of the process. You just see like the beautiful like glamour shots and like the transitions between what's going on. I'm like, there's a lot of work to happen between this cut and this cut that I didn't yeah. see. Yeah. 
I've always found it fascinating the shaping that goes on inside the, mm-hmm. the violin on the soundboard itself and the oh, little yeah. ribs. Um, and I, you know, I would assume just from what I know of acoustics, it's like the how you shape those ribs can determine how the violin actually sounds. Yeah, that's where the and, like artistry comes into it. Right. Yeah, and I've always heard that some of that is actually like like trade secrets. Like, you know, Stradivarius built them certain ways and shaved just a certain amount. I don't know how much of that is myth or lore. I mean, physics tells me that that should be true, but how much of it, you know, gets wrapped up into like myth and story, who knows? Yeah, and like the time, it does the tiniest little thing make a difference or is it just generally the shape has to be like this? Um, right. But right. I think that's where those guys make their money. You know, the experienced ones seem to to know the artistry behind it. Yeah. Did you guys see the, the PBS one on the violin makers in Italy? Mm-mm. That was that was like a year ago or something, but they went through like in a lot more detail. It was like actually like I think it was sixty minutes did it. Oh, it was okay. really good, and like it went through the whole process. So like they're out there in the woods, like picking out the right tree. It has to be cut down at the right time of year. Oh yeah, same, I did see right that. Weather. And yeah, because like, there's an actual forest that yes, they pull. Particular forest. <laughs> yeah, maybe one particular forest. We might have mentioned that on the show. There, I remember something yeah, like that. Now. That does sound familiar. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds cool. It was very cool. Well, speaking of long videos, um, (laughs) Dan shared uh, another YouTube video, and this is actually from the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And it is almost three hours long. Um, But I got to tell you, if you're interested in the history of furniture making, history of design, different design elements of, of a variety of historical styles, this is one that's worth like bookmarking or adding it to your watch list, whatever YouTube calls it, and just kind of consuming it in parts. Um, there it's, I think, three or four different quote unquote sessions, and there's no transition between those sessions either. So don't try to fast forward looking for like a blank spot. They just literally <laughs> cut like from one to the next, and suddenly there's like different panelists on stage with no warning whatsoever. It's kind of funny. Huh. But there, there's a great thing on Duncan Fife and kind of his history and the design elements that make a Fife piece a Fife piece. Um, there is a really good uh, carving example demonstration, and actually it's Alan Breed who comes on and carves uh, acanthus leaves in the Fife style on a turned leg, and he actually goes through it. He carves the whole thing, which is really impressive because l- real time, I mean, he doesn't carve the whole leg, but he carves like the whole leaf. And the the technique in watching that is really fascinating. But then to to like juxtapose that, they bring up a guy, and we've we've highlighted this guy before. He does really crazy steam bent sculptural type stuff. Mm-hmm. Right after Alan Breed carves this acanthus leaf, this guy shows up with his computer, pulls out the CAD drawing, and starts showing how now today we design stuff and it's it's got a little bit for everybody yeah whether you're like 18th century furniture or like modern stuff it kind of covers it all um really cool um I, I knew about this before dan recommended this so i haven't seen the whole thing yet but i've seen a large portion of it it's just it's um it's very intellectual mm. so this is this is not like you know go and be entertained uh, you can learn a lot from this, and it made me kind of dig into the channel a little bit more and see what else was there, because there's some really really cool stuff in here. Nice. So just check it out. The uh, carving example happens at an hour and forty one minutes, and it's about six minutes long. Um, but it's a really good um, close up look of him carving the acanthus leaves. Very nice. Just make sure. Yeah, got to brew yourself up a cup of uh, Earl Grey tea before you watch that. <laughs> Yeah. I think it seems appropriate. All right, let's move into our kickback and got a couple ones here concerning the shaper versus router table discussion we had, what, last week or the week before. 
um, for that. Yeah, something like that. that. Uh, Todd <laughs> chimed in. Uh, you guys know Todd Clippinger from American Craftsman Workshop. He says, shapers versus router tables. I'm a big advocate of shapers over routers mounted in a table. Shapers run smoother because they're heavier. They have more real power and torque due to the larger motors rather than relying on a small motor with two times the RPM. A small three-quarter or one-horsepower shaper with a capacitor motor is better than a three-horsepower router with a universal motor. Another bonus, the larger motors run much quieter too. From an economical standpoint, you get a better value with a small shaper than buying a big router and a router table. With either one, controlling the material safely is equally critical. Don't fear the beast. Get control. (laughs) Now, sort of on the other side of things is Dusty. He says, another word on shapers. I would love to have one, but my family has been in the woodworking trade for a long time, and two of my great uncles have lost fingers to a shaper. But every time I see the the really nice carbide tip pattern shaper bits, I really want one. So uh, yeah. I guess in a lot of ways, it's like a table saw, you know, like the yeah. difference between a bench top saw and a cabinet saw, how much smoother it runs and quieter and more efficiently and everything. It's pretty much the same thing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And they will take your fingers off, too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, two different two different points of view there. So thanks for that, nice. uh, Todd and Dusty. Uh, This one comes from James. He says, I've got a quick thought on speeding up footage in videos. I advocate that videos be sure that they are clear that the footage is being sped up, especially in cases where the footage shows material being fed into a blade by hand, like a bandsaw or table saw work. For people that may be learning those tools, learning those tools, (laughs) sped up footage wow this is worded poorly in other words people who don't know that it's sped up may think that it actually is going that fast and then try to feed their wood that fast which can be anywhere from exhausting frustrating or dangerous yeah so yeah good good point james you know we don't even think about that you think oh well obviously this is sped up but somebody who doesn't know might uh might realize you're supposed to feed hard maple 12 quarter hard maple through the table saw at the rate of you know, one foot per half a second. I think if you're doing like one, like two, maybe a little bit more to two to three times speed, that might start to get sketchy. But most of the ones that I see are so fast. It's, <laughs> it's like, if you don't realize that you don't it's know like how they shot that maple. Through yeah, the you don't understand how the world works. If you don't realize that that person has sped this video up, there's, um, there's some form of time dilation and things like that. That happens at that speed. Yeah. That, that would be kind of scary. Cool. Maybe that's why people think their saws always bogged down. That's right. My saws going really <laughs> slow. It's a good point, you know. <laughs> Boy, now that, that I got to go check my inbox. There might be some in there that I'm like, have you watched a fast video recently? That could be the problem. It's not your blade. <laughs> nice. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> this is gonna be very hard. Pull it together, to man. Pull it together. You're up. <laughs> I swear, I'm not a professional. Um. All right. This is from Miles. <laughs> Uh, back to the carpenter thing again. I'm often, I often am annoyed by the titles people assign to my work and to me. Um, as someone who has been a rough carpenter, finished carpenter, flooring guy, I did the ridiculously weird and hard-to-do fixes and installs on super high-end floors for a while, and now a cabinet maker. I understand using the wrong title can be offensive. The state of rough carpentry in the U.S. nowadays is deplorable, and I absolutely hate my work as a, as a woodworker. It's labeled as carpentry. Um, something, something where a half inch gap or multiple degrees out of square is perfectly acceptable and doing a good job can get you fired <laughs> if you aren't moving as fast as complete hacks. As much as I get that most people don't understand the di- as much as I don't get that most people don't understand the difference, so I will give them a break about it, but it still annoys me. Hmm. That's terrible. It's one of those things where like you're, when you're in the, you're deep in it 
it might make a difference. But to everyone else, it's like, who gives a crap? Right. You know, because it's the same thing I, I confronted with uh, tattooing. I made the mistake of calling like a tattoo machine, a tattoo gun. And if you want to piss off a tattoo artist, call it a tattoo gun. <laughs> really? And, yeah, it's a weird really? thing. And I'm just it's like, generally not a good idea to piss off the guy with the sharp needles. Well, who's, yeah, who's permanently putting ink into your body is actually <laughs> right. the bigger issue. Um, so, so what is it called if it's not a tattoo gun? It's a tattoo machine. Tattoo machine. Oh, okay, and he specifically it. said, he says, guns shoot people. I'm an artist. That's and, not, and that's not what he said, but because you now have a tattoo on your right thigh that says it's a, a machine, not a gun. Jackass. <laughs> no, it just says a hole. <laughs> but yeah, so apparently, I mean, that's the thing in these little niches you get into, you find that there are these things that just like when you group these people together, they all get together and go, yeah, let's hate that thing. We don't like being called that. But if you're not in that circle, you don't necessarily know, you know? So that's the thing. Pro tip for, for getting a tattoo. I was, in, I was in Williamsburg and I called the shoemaker cobbler and he got very offended. See? And you're just yeah. like, well, dude, what's the problem? But you get into it and you realize to them it's, you know, it's, it's a, a derogatory term. It is. <laughs> so, so if you're an 18th century shoemaker, we're sorry. Yeah, we apologize. Um, all right. Next one here is from Dusty. He says, happy new year. Is that the same Dusty? Didn't I do something from Dusty before? Yeah. Could be two Dusties. It's a very Dusty day. Uh, happy new year and welcome Matt Cremona to the show. In light of Andy Klein's new vice, I wanted to shed some light on another vice hardware maker, Len Ho- Hovarder. Is that how you pronounce that? Hovarder? Sure. sure. Uh, it's at H-O-V-A-R-T-E-R customvice.com. I've been lusting after one of these vices for a while, uh, but have not been able to pull the trigger on one yet. This is a, f- a full non-threaded quick action vice with a really smart design. Love the show. Take care. That is a sweet vice. And it's funny that it doesn't get more press. Yeah. Now I don't know how much they cost. It's probably, it's gotta be expensive just because it's so well made. But the thing that's awesome about it, and actually with with Andy's new vice, is the capacity on the thing. I know in Andy in Andy's video, or um, what's his name, Charlie, the guy mm-hmm. who did the the demo, it had like thirteen inches of capacity, mm-hmm. which is pretty yeah. sick. Yeah. And I know that um, Lens Vice is the same way. That's that's cool stuff. I need to look into that again. Looks like it's. If I'm, I don't know if he's got multiple versions, but I'm looking at one of them that's three hundred and twenty bucks. So I, I don't I mean, know for sure. Compared to Benchcrafted, it's not horrible. Anything is not horrible compared to Benchcrafted <laughs> prices. Come on. I've got one on my bench, I, they, and I can attest to it. They are extremely expensive. I mean, it's I worth it for me. Not Maybe not for everybody, but dang, they are expensive. All right. It feels good every time I go out in the shop and spin that wheel. Yeah, I don't even have to put anything in it. I just go, whoop, oh, totally worth it. I literally do that. I just open and close it. It's actually, there's times where I'll go in the shop and I'm either on the phone or like someone came to visit and I, I play with it almost like, you know, like a nervous habit, like playing with your hair or something like that. And I just kind of spin it back and forth. It's very relaxing. Still works. It needs to make a cool sound. When you spin it. Whoosh. Actually, mine goes money, 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 money. Like that. Every time I, I spin it around. Uh, all right, let's uh, go to our voicemail. <laughs> we got one here from Roberto. Hey, guys, how's it going? It's been a while. This is Roberto from Illinois. My question to you guys is, is there any way I can get a true zero clearance throat uh, plate with a 45-degree angle? What I mean is when you tilt your table saw to a 45, that you're going to cut a miter, and you want zero clearance, true zero clearance. I know my table saw comes with one of those wide uh, mouth uh, throat insert plates, but is there any way I can make one that when I tilt the saw at 45 degrees and it has that one little slit where it's coming out of? 
I'm sure there's an easy solution, but for some reason I'm racking my brain over it. Thanks, fellas. Okay, so I don't know whether Roberto's overthinking it or am I overthinking his question, but this right. seems as simple as get a you know solid insert that you haven't cut through yet, tilt the blade to your 45, and bring it up through the zero clearance insert. I don't know any other way to do it if you truly want a, a 45 zero clearance, but it's going to be dedicated to that. You will not be able to use that. Well, I mean, you could, but it's not going to be zero clearance anymore if you use it at any other angle. So uh, did I did I misunderstand his question or is that as simple as what he's looking yeah, for that that's exactly what i was thinking and okay. i started doubting myself going yeah yeah because <laughs> he even said can i make one like yeah <laughs> yeah you're just gonna have to either make one or purchase an aftermarket one for your saw and it's gonna consider it sacrificial you're going to dedicate that right 45 on it in case you get confused so you don't use it for anything else just like if you want a specific dado insert uh, unless you get one of those models that has the insert within the insert uh, that you can kind of replace that little inner piece. Most of them don't, and you'll just have to sacrifice it and, and dedicate it specifically for 45 degrees, which is not a bad idea because that little tiny gap sometimes that's in the manufacturer's insert that's wider uh, can actually lead to little pieces getting stuck in there and those little yeah. bullets that, that happen in the shop. So mm -hmm. not a bad idea for 45s. All right, that's it for voicemail. Let's get into our email. Uh, first one here is from Trevor. He says, I have a really limited selection of tools. I have a table saw and miter saw, cheap jigsaw, and a standard drill driver and a router. I'm nervous to go out and buy a bunch of tools, mainly because I can't afford the nicer ones and have limited space and don't know how to use most of them. I've been really looking at all the Wood Whisperer projects, but for some reason I'm nervous just to get started uh, for some stupid reason, any advice on how to jump in? It's scary to buy a bunch of wood for a few hundred dollars and pretty much know that I'd screw it up in some of the pieces. So, I mean, this could be a major topic, but I'm going to keep it pretty simple here. Um, when you're getting started, you really, first of all, need to pick fairly simple projects. I mean, if you have an aptitude for this stuff and you're just naturally gravitating to it, some people like to dive in head first, uh, like Vic. We always use him as a good example with his, his cradle that he built was his first project. And most people, like a lot of woodworkers are like, wow, I've been doing this for 15 years and I couldn't build something like that. <clears throat> so Vic just has a particular aptitude for it. Um, but, you know, most people just pick something you really want, something you, you think you can build that's fairly simple. Don't, uh, you know, don't try to build a high boy on your first project. Uh, and, and like set your expectations where they should be and then just start. Uh, the other thing is don't get expensive wood. If you put a lot of money into the wood, you shouldn't spend a few hundred dollars on your lumber. Go get some, you know, even if you, I don't really like using pallets. Um, and I think you got to know what you're doing to do that safely. But if you want to go get some reclaimed wood, go get some, some pallets, uh, get cheap pine or poplar is actually my, my favorite recommendation. Go for the less expensive, uh, new woods and get to know what the tools are doing. Build up your confidence using cheap materials so that the the risk isn't really there. And well, it makes and it... Can I, can I just yeah, add one thing real quick? How many projects... I mean, again, going with what you're saying, going simple and not building a high boy. Yeah. There's not a lot of projects that you can't build with like 15 board feet. Yeah. I mean, a shaker side table is what? Like 10 board feet? Right. Um, so even if you're buying like expensive walnut or mahogany, which could run you 8 to $9 a board foot... You're under a hundred dollars. Yeah, I mean, I realize we're we're, you know, still money, but I'm just saying. Well, a few hundred. Anybody thinking a few hundred dollars, I think that's a bit steep unless yeah. you're buying like blackwood or something. Exactly, and I don't think he needs that. He could do that same project out of some poplar or pine. You know, he yeah. doesn't necessarily need to do that. Um, so ultimately, yeah, keep the project. <clears throat> excuse me, keep the project fairly simple and keep the materials cheap, and, and it sort of lowers the bar, the barrier to entry for you. 
Um, and honestly, when it comes, like I had that fear too, like the first time I didn't go to Home Depot and went somewhere else to get my lumber uh, and wound up getting, uh, I think it was Birch for one of my first like quote unquote real projects. Yeah, and well, there was that really rude girl at the desk. That was, you that's, filmed that. You that did was that the, video. I yes. That. that was the inspiration for, really for that. Really rude blonde chick. Was that, like, whatever. Yeah, she, yeah. The real one wasn't blonde though. She had brown hair. Uh, Nicole wouldn't dye her hair for the, uh, for the show. <laughs> some, some supporter she is. Uh, yeah. The so details. anyway, that I was actually afraid to cut into that stuff. I, I really saw it as this precious material that I had to drive an extra 15 minutes to go get. And I paid a little bit more for, uh, but ultimately that's like, that's something you just got to build up a callus to <laughs> like, eventually, uh, you just use enough of this stuff that at this point, I kind of don't care what wood species it is or how much it costs. I know that I can execute what I'm trying to do. So as long as I'm not being wasteful about it, um, it doesn't matter if it's expensive wood or cheap wood. I kind of, it's all the same to me. It's not going to pr- really present any surprises. So the more you use that stuff, I think the easier it is to use it and just not think of it as a valuable material. Just think of it as material. Um, but in the beginning, I think it's a good idea to build up that confidence with inexpensive stuff. So, all right. Yeah. Matt, you up. Oh boy. This one is from jerkface421. Love that. Interesting. <laughs> I'm going to paraphrase this to generalize it a little bit here. Um, but he just picked up a new 14-inch bandsaw uh, from Jet, and he is looking to upgrade a blade for it. He's been looking at the Resaw King from Laguna because the price isn't too horrible for a blade that will fit on his saw because it's not as long as the bigger bandsaw. Uh, he said that he's been on some forums and posts suggest that when a, a larger wheel is almost required for a carbide-tip bandsaw blade, which doesn't make any sense, so he was hoping that we could... Maybe weigh in on that and why some people feel that way. Hmm. Well, very interesting thing with these things is the difference between a carbide bandsaw blade and your standard bandsaw blades typically is going to be the backing material. The backing material on a carbide blade is a lot thicker than the standard size blade. So you think of what's happening with a bandsaw. Every single time those wheels go around, that blade goes around those wheels, it's being bent and then straightened out and bent and straightened out and bent and straightened out and bent and straightened out. So the thicker the band material is, the basically the smaller the radius that that thing could be bent to and straightened out to repeatedly, you know, thousands and thousands of times as you use that blade, it decreases. So if you're going to put a thicker band on a smaller tire, you're bending that band to a much tighter radius than it's really intended to be bent to, and then you could cause it to fail earlier. It'll develop a bunch of uh, micro fractures and stress lines or whatever in there become weaker and eventually break. And you're not going to be very happy when you break your carbide blans- uh, bandsaw blade. Mm-mm, not that one. Uh-uh, you're not going to be very happy about that. So that's kind of why that is. Um, I'm not sure how thick the Resaw Kings are. Um, maybe talk to Laguna and see what their minimum wheel diameter is. I know on mine I have a Lenox Trimaster. I have a half-inch wide blade, so the backing material is not as thick as a three-quarter inch. Um, and I'm running that on 14-inch uh, wheels, and I've had that blade on there for almost three years. So, okay. Well, and you that. know what? The, it, like, just the fact that they sell one that is That's for a 14-inch bandsaw is, you know, kind of tells you that they they probably think it's going to be okay. Right. Well, it's, in today's litigious society, you would think they've done some testing there. Yeah, it could be a 16-inch wheel with the same bandsaw length, blade length. Yeah, so I, don't I don't know. Good point. Because they they don't tell you what the wheel size is. They just tell you the length of the blade. Right. Hmm. I think they're just generalizing, but (laughs) I guess either way. That's a good good point. I never really thought about it that way, but that makes sense. Thank you. I'm glad glad that kind of makes sense because 
Uh, I hope that would have thought of it that way. Just proving your value, that's all. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of proving value, I better oh figure something out here. This is uh, what? This is from Daniel in the UK. So I should say this with a bad British accent just mm. to really tick off do that it. segment of our market. No, I can't do that. Um, I have managed to save enough money to buy a decent table saw and planer thicknesser combo. My better half has allowed me to have full use of our tandem-ish garage. I'm I'm in need of a dust collector and have a dilemma. I can just afford a three-horsepower unit with twin collection bags. What what I am wanting is your opinion on... What I'm wanting your opinion on (laughs) is, can I get away with a one and a half horsepower unit that can be moved between the two machines, freeing up funds to purchase a Triton spindle sander or bite the bullet and get the three horsepower unit that would hopefully run static dust work for both machines and hopefully a 14 inch bandsaw in the future. Uh, Thank you. Lots of nice things he had to say about us, et cetera, et cetera. Daniel. Okay. Um, Here's the thing. Horsepower is not the whole story when it comes to dust collection. It's all about how much air you're moving. Um, and, you know, certainly a three horsepower unit is going to have the oomph to move a lot more air through there. But there's so many other things that come into that equation that can determine whether or not you're getting that CFM, that good pull. Um, speaking from my own personal experience, I've run a one and a half horsepower for forever. Um, <laughs> for at least 10 years. And this was, you know, going back into when I had a bunch of power tools and things like that. If you are moving the collector around and like hooking it up one machine at a time on a, you know, a typical flexible hose length, you're going to get a really good suction out of that. You know, assuming that the, you've got a, as close to a sealed unit as po- as possible. I mean, Depending on the table saw you have, if it's a contractor saw, there's all kinds of things you can do to seal that up. But cabinet saws, planers, things like that, um, you're going to get a really good draw out of that with just a one and a half horse collector. Where that will start to break down is if you do like have that machine on the other side of the shop and you've got a really, really long run with flexible hose that may have a bunch of kinks and turns and things like that in it. Um, I just feel like if you still have tools that you want to buy – He's and he's already obviously thinking about this because he brought up a bandsaw and a spindle sander. Mm-hmm. I would think you'd be better off on the lower horsepower collector and moving it back and forth. Um, that's what I did for years, and I would often think, well, maybe one day I'll plumb the shop for you know static uh, dust collection. And it was just never it was never really a big deal because I kept thinking, well, you know, if I ever move shops. I don't want to be like that guy Mark and have to like plumb his shop four times <laughs> with static duct work. I never did. So that. I just moved the machine around. But at the same time, I'm in a one car garage and I have that um, flexible hose stuff from Rockler, the dust right hose that like extends out really far and then mm-hmm. goes zoop back up to really short. That works great. Um, planers produce a lot of chips, but they also like projectile produce them. So you don't really need to worry too much about the CFM. You just need to hook up a hose up to catch it, frankly. Uh, table saw, you got to worry about the fine dust, but that's more about getting the collection right at the at the source. Yeah, you know, which most you table saws collector. get wrong anyway. Yeah, exactly. You know? Very good point. So, you know, it, having a three horsepower collector is not going to make a difference if your table saw isn't collecting dust properly. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with the spindle sander. If you're not collecting right at the source, it doesn't matter whether it's 20 horsepower or one horsepower. So I think you're better off 
saving the money and buying more tools, and you can always upgrade your desk collector later on in the future. And if all else fails, and you should do this anyway, wear a respirator. It's all about personal desk collection, right? Yeah. Personal desk collection, personal safety protection, whatever that stuff is called. <laughs> yes. There's an acronym. Personal protective P- equipment. P-P-E. Yes, that, that thing, what you said. <laughs> yeah. I, to me, I just, I've never been the guy that says I'm going to spend a lot of money on my dust collection. And that doesn't mean that I don't care about dust collection. I've been perfectly fine, you know, going back into my power tool days with a one and a half horsepower collector. But the other thing too, is if he's eventually going to end up with a much more, you know, well outfitted shop and wanting this sort of ducted design, what he knows about the woodworking machines and the dust collection will be greater those, yeah, let's say it takes a few years for him to accumulate those tools. He'll know a lot more about it. And I think making that three horsepower purchase and saying, this is the end all be all, you may find that that's not going to even meet your needs for a fully ducted system, uh, depending right. on what you want to do. So trying to buy that and sort of, you know, say, oh, this is going to be the thing I'm going to use forever. You might realize later that you're, you have to sell that one anyway, because now you want this other thing that's even more powerful yeah, uh, and greater a cyclone or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think buying that now, I think you're right. The, the one and a half horsepower mobile units, probably the safest choice for until he learns more about what he needs and wants in his shop. And I got to tell you, as attractive as twin bag sound, that's that's uh, that can be dangerous because <laughs> yeah. then it's like, oh, I don't need to I don't need to empty that. And then you got to empty two bags at the same time. And that is my least favorite job in the shop is emptying the dust collector to the point where like it's probably why I got into hand tools because I just didn't want to empty the collector anymore. It's not so a very fun out a hand plane. Yeah, that is not a fun process. I mean, even when I just have to empty the cyclone, I hate that. I just yeah. try to ask someone else to come over and do it. Do me a favor, please. My neighbors, they don't like me very much. All right. Well, that just about does it for us. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can head to woodtalkshow.com and look over in a side column for the donation links and any little bit that you can send our way helps keep the show going. You can head to the Wood Whisperer store and get yourself a Wood Talk t-shirt. That's twwstore.com. And you could do something as simple as going into iTunes and looking us up and leaving us a nice review, uh, just like Sandhill Woodworks and Jeremiah did. Uh, Sandhill Woodworks says, you guys hit another one out of the park. Very cool. I listen while I wake up drinking my coffee. Thanks, uh, Bob. Jeremiah Schwanger says, uh, rub-a-dub-dub, three woodworkers in a tub. <laughs> this is where it gets a little, little bit aggressive. Jeremiah, Awkward. he said, yeah, these are not our words. Still better than Shop Talk Live, and that makes me smile. Even with a big magazine company behind them, Shop Talk Live will always be number two. Uh, you know, wow. I'm going to have to come to like their defense. They're nice guys. I like those guys. We actually just like poking fun at them, uh, but it's a very friendly thing, and they're very professional over there. Uh, I think they do a good job, but, you know, obviously we do it better. So, <laughs> Pass the soap. Yeah. So sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, now it's even more awkward. Yeah. Now it's really awkkward. All right, Shannon, why don't you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. All right. I'm not going to pretend that that doesn't make me a little bit sad when he says that and because so, it's not Matt. Yeah. I could send it to Matt if you want him to do it. You could send it to Matt. Would that make but, you feel a little bit better. But I've been actually secretly jonesing for this job my entire time on Wood Talk. So no, you can't have it. Well, I don't know if you realize it, but this is your promotion. <laughs> you get to read this stuff now. This is my raise. You get yeah. to do more work. All right. Anyway, so if you have comments, questions, or topic suggestions, you have several different ways to contact us. You can leave a voicemail on Skype, just like Roberto did. Um, he's your daddy. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623 242 5180. 
or use our fancy contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. And of course, you can leave a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page and make it as political as you want. We'll delete you no matter what you say. <laughs> yes. Um, if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, find them over at woodtalkshow.com. And of course, don't forget to check out all of us individually in a tub or not in a tub at woodwhisper.com, <laughs> renaissancewoodworker.com, and mattcremona.com. Very nice. Oh, I can't imagine sharing a tub with you guys. New channel art, what do you think? That would be scary. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Amy Schumer for president, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs> See ya. See ya. <laughs>